Hi, everybody. I'm Wendy Murdoch, and this is Webinars with Wendy. As you know, I am continuing to do my series of webinars, and I'm already lining up guests for January. So stay tuned. We're going to keep rolling into the new year. Uh, I'm hoping I have a nice surprise for you at the beginning of January. Um, and just remember that if you want to support Webinars with Wendy, you can always go to my Patreon account, Murdoch Method, and um, it's just a nominal fee if you love these webinars and are benefiting from it, because my staff and I spend a lot of time doing them. I don't mind volunteering, but my staff does have a lot of work to do to keep this up and running. So thank you so much for supporting Webinars with Wendy. And today, I am so excited to be talking to Hillary Self from Hilton Herbs. Welcome, Hillary. Thank you so much for joining me all the way from the UK, and I love your background. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the view from our farm. Is it really? It's gorgeous. It is. Yes, but yeah. it's raining today, so it's not the live view, right? <laughs> it's not the live view, no. <laughs> it would look very grey and misty at the moment. Well, in fact, dark, because it's it's dark here now. Yeah, yeah, we're on, on um, winter, winter time. I'm really looking forward to, let's see, how many more days do we have to the shortest day of the year? This is the 13th. So another eight days, and the days I skip long, I so look forward to that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, Hillary, um, just tell us um, your background. Like, uh, did you grow up loving horses? Have you ridden? Um, I really don't know your story. Oh, right. Okay. Well, I yeah, I grew up loving horses. I didn't have my first horse until I was 13, uh, which was this fairly crazy pony. And, uh, and then I went to college and obviously had to start work. And so um, there was quite a big gap between... My, my pony and when I then got back into riding which was ooh, about 20 I was 28 29 and made the fatal mistake a lot of people do of buying an x racehorse. Ah, which <laughs> so that's a steep learning curve <laughs> but uh, that was great and and it got me back into horses and in fact, it was really how I then got into the herbs, because um, although I was actually, I was in catering, I was a catering manager and a chef, but um, oh. what I started, yeah, <laughs> so, uh, so I, yeah. herbs, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, and, and also Tony, my husband, it, it's, it's nice because he likes his food, so the chef part comes in well. Um, but um, what happened was that um, I started running with Tony um, a small, what we call a livery yard over here, just a small yard. And um, what happened was that um, Tony got a, a horse, a big Cleveland Bay cross, um, but he was only about six, but he very swiftly developed um, uh, bone spavin. Oh, okay. And so the vet had said to us, okay, well, you know, you just need to stick him on phenolbutazone and, and work through it. And I was really reluctant to do that on a young horse uh, because of this sort of impact that those sort of drugs can have. And I'd always been interested in complementary healthcare, in herbs, in homeopathy. And I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to see if I can make something that gets him more comfortable, more sound, and we don't have to rely on the drugs. So I mixed up my first mix, which at the time was called Reflex, but is now called Multiflex, and put him on that. And um, it was fantastic. He went, he went sound, he was comfortable, and he went through to, oh, golly, how old was he when he eventually went? 25, I think it was something like that. Okay, so there's a couple of questions I have to ask you right away. Um, how long ago was this? Oh, golly, this was uh, ooh, 30, 33, 34 years ago. I was going to say, because I'm pretty sure you've been doing this for quite a while. Um, yeah. And how did you even begin to decide what to put together for your reflex? How did you even know what to do? Well, I'd always, as I said, always been interested in herbs and I had a, a, a knowledge of what herbs did. What I did actually after I did this first mix was I decided that I really needed to learn a lot more. So I signed up and I took a BSc degree in phytotherapy and herbal medicine. Um, it was for people because they don't have um, a degree for 
for people, you know, for horses. So I did that. And that obviously, it was a, a university degree that I did remotely. Uh, but it involved quite a lot, something like 500 hours of practical experience with, with patients. Um, and cut a long story short, I eventually um, got my degree in 2000 and, um, and obviously then became a, a medical herbalist. But I had always been interested and I, I wanted thinking about this particular horse. I was thinking, OK, well, what's the problem? We've got a problem with circulation. There's a problem with inflammation. There's probably um, concerns about waste um, products, inflammatory waste products in the, in the bloodstream. So I picked herbs that I knew would be able to help with that, help with the lymphatic system, help reduce pain or, or uh, inflammation. And the reflex was the, was the result. And so what then happened was that there was a couple of people in our yard and they said, oh, that's really good. Do you want to do something for my horse? <laughs> and the rest, as they say, is history. So wow, that's really how it started. So you know, it's so interesting because, it, um, you know, it's, it's fascinating how horses tend to drive us into uh, areas that we would have never considered, first mm -hmm. of all. But second of all, so you were actually you're actually trained to use herbs with people. And so what you had to do, first of all, I don't even know if we have a degree like that at the university level in the United States. Um, and oh, for people, yes, I think you do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And second yeah. of all, that the whole idea of, so you had to actually create formulas for humans using herbs to help as part of your studies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, we had patients. I used to go up to to a clinic in London because I was living in Surrey at the time. So I used to go up to London uh, pretty much every week and attend a clinic where you know, members of the public would come in and they would present with ailments. And uh, the, the group of students that were involved would then, you know, sort of examine the, the patient. I mean, it was it was a training really to be a to be a doctor. Um, but we were using herbs rather than conventional allopathic medicine. So, it, and it made sense to me, I have to say, I'm more interested in animals than... Well, than, and, you know, so many of our drugs are actually based on plants. Um, oh, yeah. But you can't trademark or patent a plant. So a lot no. of the drugs then are derivatives of or mimicking what we would find in nature. Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And I mean, there even now, there are still well over 200 drugs that have um, a base of herbs. You know, they, oh, come wow. they come originally from herbs and plants. So, uh, and, and this, and I, okay, so here's, I'm going to ask, a, so the, how long have humans been using herbs to treat themselves? Oh, thousands, thousands right. of years. I mean, this is yeah. not a new science is what yeah. I'm trying to point out. This is an old science yeah. and that, um, you know, you look back and, you know, somebody would have a medicine man or a shaman in their tribe or in mm -hmm. their village and they would go yeah. to that person and that person knew the plants and would prescribe different plants for different ailments. This has been going on for thousands of years. Thousands of years. Yeah. I mean, they were using it back in Egyptian times. So, I mean, it's, wow. uh, and, and. Okay, some of them were pretty heroic and, you know, people tried things and mistakes happened. But, but generally, you know, it, it's, um, there's, that's what I love about herbal medicine. It, it's generally, it's safe. Um, and the thing about herbal medicine is that you are, you're treating the whole body, you know, unlike um, more conventional medicine, pharmaceuticals which tend to focus very much on the symptoms, you know, let's suppress the symptoms. With herbal medicine, you're treating the whole body. So you're trying to get to the root cause of the problem that, that people have or that horses have. And, I, and that's the incredible thing is that, that horses can't talk to you, dogs can't talk to you. So, you know, the, but they show you. I mean, give a horse a, an opportunity to, to graze around, you know, hedges and things like that. They'll find these things for themselves. 
Right. As long as long as they, they're available. Um, I remember this is back in the 90s. I was trekking in New Zealand and this gentleman who had created this trekking operation, he watched all the plants that his horses would eat as he as he trekked. And then he collected the seeds and he sowed all that in his fields. Oh, wow. OK, yeah. a, there's a smart guy. Really yeah. smart guy. So so in terms of understanding what plants do what, obviously, there was a lot of trial and error back in in the ancient times. Um, (laughs) and hopefully more successes than failures. Um, but then, uh, like in your studies, do they, do they go into the analysis and the chemical composition of herbs to, to understand them? Uh, I'm just really curious about, you know, how do we, how, how is the herb researched or is it, is it looked at that way? Yes, it is. And actually much more so now. I mean, when I was doing my degree, um, there was there, there was quite a lot of emphasis on the chemical com, um, composition of, of the uh, of the plants, you know, and what different constituents bring what action to the herb. Nowadays, I mean, I was looking at the sort of um, information that now they are focusing on in with that same herbal uh, degree that I did, and it is actually far more science based than it was with me which is probably probably just as well with me because I'm not I'm no scientist <laughs> but the thing is that it also you were mentioning Wendy the a lot of people in the old days they would look at what the animals ate to see um you know what was safe I mean this was the other thing you know oh. if you saw a horse eating something or a cow eating something then generally you could figure that it was probably pretty safe for, for the people to be able to eat. Sure, I hadn't even thought about so, that. The way to evaluate a plant is, is another animal actually eating it. That's a, good, that's a really good way to assess it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But nowadays there is, there is a lot more. I mean, it's always the thing that is, it's always the complaint, if you like, that conventional um, doctors will say, oh, well, there's no science behind this. This is all anecdotal. You know, it, there's there's nothing. Well, actually, that's not true. Um, now there has been a huge amount of research, and there's a lot of things. I mean, I'm thinking about something like milk thistle, for example. Mm. That is probably one of the most widely researched herbs, and they are using it now in conventional medicine. They're using it for children that have uh, that are having chemotherapy, and they have shown that, for example, children that are on uh, that are using milk thistle, they need less chemotherapy and that their, their livers are more protected and are recovering more quickly. So these are the sort of things which oh. I, I mean, I just find it fascinating. And um, so, you know, there is a lot more science to it. Well, and the fact it's, we're starting to go full circle that we're starting to realize that herbs in their, in their more native state, if you will, can be very useful, um, which is yeah. great. I mean, milk thistles, one of them, I, I ha- have for years taken a, a formula with a lot of milk thistle in it. I just open the bottle and smell it and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so my body craves that. So, okay. So now here, um, approximately, I don't know that you have a solid number, but how many different plants do we consider herbs? What's the number of plants we consider to be herbs? Oh, golly. Oh, I mean, hundreds. Um, I don't really have an answer to that because I mean, it, it could be, it could be a grass, it could be a root, it could be a seed, a flower, a stem. So, I mean, that sort of encompasses everything, if you like. Um, but I don't so know. So that's okay. I mean, that just, you know, I, I guess one of the questions is what's the difference between a weed and an herb? No, uh, probably not much. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like, is it where you want it or not? It's kind of exactly. Is exactly. it in my garden where I don't want it? Then it's a weed. If it's in my yeah. garden where I do want it, then it's an herb. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you know, most people would call nettle a weed. Right. But you know, it's a fantastic herb. I mean, it's just an incredible herb. I use it extensively in the in the mixes. And again, horses, given an opportunity, 
you cut nettle down and leave it down on the ground just so that that sting goes out of it. It's one of the best things for horses with founder, with laminitis, trying to improve circulation and things like that. So you're right. It's just it's just a plant in the wrong place, really. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so I, I guess and this is a question I don't know that there's an answer to, but is it does every plant have some type of medicinal benefit? Mm, probably not. No, no, okay. there are, there are that. Yeah. That, that you just would, you just wouldn't use. No. Okay. So, so there is a distinction between just being a plant and being a medicinal herb. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know like, um, you know, you get into the box flower remedies, which isn't herbs. I understand that, but they have all these different like walnut and, um, uh, Rosa Sharon and things like that and different, different formulations from other different plants. But basically it sounds like the things that we have in nature are there to help us if we only understood their properties. Yeah. Yeah. No, most definitely. No, that, that's what they're there for. And, and as you said earlier, it's what the, it's what the, the native Americans, the, the shamans, the, you know, the herbalists, all of these, this is what they used. It's, you know, and that, and, you know, the, the wise women, the witches, if you like. <laughs> I, apparently I've burned at the stake a couple of times. Okay, <laughs> But uh, no, and I mean, amazing, amazing results. And, um, you know, I, I, as I say, it just fascinates me the whole, you know, the whole yeah. story. Yes. And, that, and somebody's making the point that Chinese medicine is used for thousands of years. And, and, and there yeah. is the whole uh, Chinese herbals formulas, which, um, uh, I think we're going to stick with more Eastern, yeah, Western, I'm Western. Than, yeah, yeah, than the Chinese yeah. because I, I, my horse is on a Chinese herb and I still can't pronounce the name of it. <laughs> it's like I just <laughs> ask Joyce, Joyce, I need more herbs for Al, and it's like begins with R. <laughs> oh, well, that Joyce Harmon, she's a whiz. She really yeah. is fantastic yeah. lady. But yeah, and she and she obviously has a, a lot of expertise on the on the Chinese traditional Chinese medicine. Now, my training is in Western herbs, really. I, I use a few a few of the Chinese herbs, but but very, very little. The, the Western ones are the ones that I have the confidence in and, and have the experience of. Absolutely. And okay, so you so you went to school for herbs and you treated this horse, and then people started to ask you to if you could help their horses, and that's kind of how you got really into the process of of creating a whole company based on herbs. Yeah, again, one of the people in the in the yard said to me because we did a, a mix, and she said she said you, you should do this commercially, <laughs> and and but it was definitely very much a don't give up the day job. You know, I was, I was still in my catering side. Tony had his own work as well. And uh, so it was like, well, you know, let's just see how it goes. And we started just in such a small, small way, mixing things up in a bucket and putting them into a plastic bag. And, and, it, and then it went, it really went from there. And we were very lucky because one of the, of our friends had, she had this beautiful um, Welsh uh, stallion that she used to do dressage on, but he was quite a he was quite a stressy character, and he used to internalize quite a lot of the stress and anxiety. So I made a mix for him because he used to sort of threaten to colic, mm. um, you know, when he competed. So I made a mix for him, and um, she happened to know somebody who was involved with one of the big um, equestrian magazines in the UK. And she mentioned this to this, this lady and they said, oh, you know, it'd be nice to do a, an interview. It'd be nice to do an article on it. So something that you, could, you just couldn't buy, we got two double page spreads in, wow. this, in this magazine. And that really was what started it because of the people then would phone and say, oh, you know, can you do this? And because the amazing thing is, and I mean, you know this, Wendy, if one equestrian has got a problem with a horse, then there's going to be hundreds that mm -hmm. have the same, you know, the same problem. And that was how it started. We decided to just see if there'd be any interest in producing a range of products like this. 
And every single product, and that even, even to this day, every single product we produce started life as an individual mix for an individual horse or a dog or, you know, whatever. Um, and that's really how it sort of started. And that, and that was over, as I say, over 30 years ago. Awesome. And, and so one of the things about herbs, and, and I'm sure that you pay a lot of attention to this, you know, you have the herbs that are on the side of the road that are getting covered in exhaust fumes and salt and et cetera, et cetera. And then you have the herbs that are actually of a quality to feed an, an animal or a human. So there's got to, I'm sure that there's a lot of sourcing when you're looking for, okay, so let's ask it in a more general way. If someone's looking for herbs for their horses, quality control and you know, quality of the herbs, I'm sure is extremely important. So how does one go about knowing if the herbs that they're getting for their horse are of a good enough quality to be fed? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. Um, it's paramount. The, the quality is absolutely paramount because you need to be confident that what you're getting is what you're looking for, you know, that isn't contaminated with another herb. Because let's be honest, herbs are powerful. I mean, I've got tinctures in my dispensary where five or 10 mils would kill somebody. You know, so a teaspoonful. Wow. Yeah, they're very, very powerful things. So I think my all the herbs that we use in our in our blends, in our mixes, we purchase from um, a European supplier, a merchant that we've now been dealing with for over 30 years. And they can trace back, you know, to what well, I should say, we can trace back to where pretty much where those herbs are grown. And it's something that we've done um, over the years with um, we, we have a, a, an auditing system and we are audited by a European organization that oversees anything that goes into horse food. Yeah, because bear in mind, unlike here in the UK and in the US, in Europe, horses can enter the food chain. Oh, OK. OK, so, you know, they have to. If you're selling something in Europe, you have to be really confident and you have to be able to trace the origins of every single ingredient. Yeah. Got it. So if you were if you were getting your own herbs, it's as you say, you, you don't want to be picking anything from the side of the road, which is covered in, in exhaust fumes or salt or whatever. But you can, you know, and you've also got to be really confident that you can identify that it's the correct one. Yeah. Um, but. In the US, there will be there'll be companies that sell um, straight herbs that you can buy you know, sort of a pound or half a pound or whatever, and you can do your own mixes, which is great. Um, there's bound to be, and I, I trained with a couple of American ladies that came over here and did the degree with me. And, um, you know, so... I know that there are really good companies in the US where if you wanted to, you could buy the makings of, of a mix if you wanted to do that. I mean, we sell, we don't sell the straight herbs in the US. We only sell the, the blends, the mixes. Um, but again, you know, people can be confident that quality is absolutely key as far as we're concerned. All the, all the herbs that we use are human grade. So, so, so in other words, if someone was to go onto the internet and shop for an herb, one of the things that's really important is that they can verify the source or that there's some type of quality control, because yep. how do you know you're actually getting the herb you ordered? And I know that that can be a, you know, I mean, there's other instances where that's a huge problem where you think you're getting one thing, but they've actually either laced it or they have... Uh, misrepresented it or, or olive oil, as an example, when they did this mm -hmm. study on olive oil, they found out that a lot of extra virgin olive oil wasn't all olive oil. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, um, there's a labeling thing where uh, depending on like, 
um, I'm trying to think of an example in this country, but you can call it something, but then when you see, you look at it, it only has like 2% of whatever that was, or you can change the name just enough. So it's super important. Uh, what I'm trying to get at is it's super important that if anybody's going to feed herbs to their horses, that they check on the quality and the sourcing. And I would think that organic sourcing would be um, imperative versus a, a an herb that had been chemically treated. Yeah, I mean, you 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 wouldn't normally get um, many herbs that have been chemically treated. Uh, the problem, I mean, organic is obviously the gold standard but they are difficult to get and cost-wise they are two or three times um, the cost that you would normally pay. Most of the herbs that we, um, that we buy are grown in Europe and they're grown by families that have been doing it for years and years, you know. Um, but I think, but you're right, you need to be confident that you are using good quality because there have now, and in particular, more recently, when there have been crop failures, you know, because of, oh, yeah. you know, whole crops, things like goldenrod, there was a crop failure last year, a few years back, there were problems with echinacea. So the, you know, you can then, at that point, then you have to be careful that things aren't being cut, if you like, with, you know, let's use a cheaper version. Or another good example, echinacea. Echinacea root, that is, the, that is the part of the herb that actually has got the most active constituents. We use the root in all our mixes, but there is also echinacea leaf. But that is so much, I mean, it's so much cheaper. It's not a word I know that they use, but you know, um, it costs a lot less. And so you could end up in a situation where you were buying echinacea and you're actually getting, you're not getting echinacea root, you're getting echinacea leaf or a mixture of the two. And so, yeah, um, boy, that leads to many questions. Somebody's asked here is, do you have any recommendations for reliable sources in the United States? Um, there's a couple of people. What I'd like to do before I do that is I'd, I'd like to do a bit of investigating and then maybe come back to you, Wendy, sure. and, and with that, because, because we don't source any of our herbs from the US, all of them come from Europe, um, I'd be, I'm sort of reluctant to, yeah. to know. I mean, so what it sounds like, if I can recap this a little, is that because horses uh, can go into the food chain in Europe, the standard of feed has to be much higher than in other countries where that's not the case. And that the herbs that are grown in Europe are therefore monitored and thus, and so that the quality is there. And I would assume that there's regular testing like on a batch to make sure that it's really at the chemical level of, or whatever, the potency that it's supposed to be before it can yeah. go into a formula. Um, just like with people, it, it, that there has to be some kind of quality control on this, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. No, there's definitely quality control. And for example, all the herbs that we buy, all the tinctures that we use, sometimes people call them tinctures, they call them extracts, but all the tinctures that we use in our products, in order to be able to use that traceability, improve that traceability, we buy the raw materials in, the herbs in from Europe, we then send them to a pharmaceutical grade um, company in the UK that then make our tinctures for us using our own, you know, using the, the, right, that the raw material. Yeah, yeah. Because that way we can get full traceability right the way through. And then the tinctures come to us and then we do. But, you know, we have to, you know, we say, what level of, of ethanol should be used, you know, whether it's a one to three or a one to five, you know, one part um, herb, three parts liquid. So those are all done. And then also um, we would check things like um, we have salmonella testing on all our products. We have heavy metal testing on all the products as well. So, because, for example, um, if you're using something like seaweed, for example, you know, that's something you have to check for heavy metals. 
because right. they they can be they can actually be taken up by the seaweed. So it's doing things like that. So I think it's yeah, it's it's important that people are confident about what they're buying and that they buy it from a good, reliable quality source. And I mean, there's bound to be there's lots there's bound to be lots and lots in the states, right? You know. And a tincture, just define a tincture for us. So a tincture is a is a liquid version, if you like, of a herb. So, for example, say you wanted a tincture of nettle, yeah, you would take the you'd take the dried nettle leaf or nettle stem, and you would put it into a vessel, and how much water and how much alcohol you use depends on what you're trying to extract from that nettle. So if the constituents in the herb are water soluble, you would probably have a higher level of water in that, in that liquid or the menstruum that you're going to put with the herb. If you're trying to remove um, oils or resins, then you would have a much higher alcohol level in that mixture. So you would do a mixture of liquid in with the herb put it in to, to soak, it can, it can be in a menstruum for, I don't know, three weeks. And then just like you would with the old apple cider presses, they press it down, squeeze it all out. And that liquid that you get out, which, which holds the, you know, all the sort of goodness of, of that metal, that is a tincture. Awesome. And so depending on the plant, depending on the herb, you might use the leaf, the stem or the root or all three? Yes. Yeah. 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 And, and that's the thing that's, that's the other thing I love about the herbs that um, they multitask, the herbs multitask. So you've got, if you think about something like, um, oh, dandelion. Okay. So you can, you can use the dandelion root and you can use the dandelion leaf and depending on what you want it to do. So the dandelion root, that is something that you would use more for digestive problems, digestive disorders, for um, constipation or even diarrhea, those two opposites, yeah. Um, It's great for liver and um, hepatic, you know, sort of health. The dandelion leaf, that is for urinary problems so that is going to work much better that will help with kidney problems with um kidney infections so you you can choose which part i mean that's not on every single herb right but it, it it but you know there are those sorts of opportunities and and it's why when people say oh well you know why don't you use this as an anti-inflammatory you know why do you use devil's claw you know why don't you use boswellia you know i'm just picking those up as a as an example but the thing is that um there are other things that those herbs will do so for example meadowsweet that's a herb that they made the original aspirin from Spirea, Philopendula. So, and I mean, it's a fabulous, fabulous herb. If you've ever seen it growing, the the smell of the flowers is just fabulous. And that's where um, the name aspirin comes from because it's the the Latin name, part of the Latin name for for, uh, Philopendula, for, um, for meadowsweet. But what you've got in meadowsweet is you've not only got a herb there or constituents that will help with things like inflammation, but also with things like fever control, you know, sort of rheumatics, colds, flu. But the other thing is that unlike the aspirin that causes stomach bleeding, because as we know, the meadowsweet in its entirety, it actually stops stomach bleeding. It, it's one of the principal herbs for ulceration, for gastric ulceration. Wow. So, you know, this is the thing. It's got, they've got so many different aspects to them and you can use them in so many different ways. It's like a whole world into itself. So now you mentioned this briefly and I want to bring, come, kind of come back to this. Um, 
a little is good, a lot may not be. Mm. In other words, unlike homeopathy, where, you know, if you took the whole bottle or you took two pills, it's basically the same and it's not going to cause any harm. Taking too much of an herb, that can cause harm, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as, as I said, there are, there are herbs that I've got. I mean, they're not, they're what they call schedule three herbs, you know, so belladonna and those sorts of things, which, I mean, you just wouldn't have in a, in a publicly available uh, product. But yeah, and it's something that, that when we first started, um, because it's been an educational thing, you know, I mean, I, I noticed that probably a lot of your, a lot of your webinar participants, they use a lot of herbs and they're probably very confident. But 30 years ago, when we first started, we felt it was vital to um, really give people as much information as possible. And one of the things that was, you know, the most obvious is that people would say, oh, well, if one scoop's good, two scoops is even better or four scoops. No, no, it'll either work or it won't. And double and trebling the quantity isn't going to make any difference. It probably wouldn't do any harm, but it's going to cost a lot of money and it's not necessary. You know, so yes, it's, it's use the quantity that, that is recommended. Definitely. Yeah. Because, you know, like I, I'm, I'm not a person of excess. No. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, that's, um, I, I can see people saying, okay, so, you know, if I just double it up, it's going to be better and I'm going to get more value out of it. Um, but that's not what you're saying to me is that's not the case. No, no, that's not the case. And I think the other key thing is that, and people are actually getting better at it. But when we first started, people were so used to the, 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 the silver bullet, you know, this instant um, uh, action that you get with drugs. And the thing that was hardest for people to understand was that they had to be patient. You know, these things, they're natural, they're gentle. And okay, there are some herbs that will act very quickly, but generally, if people have got conditions with their horses that have taken months or even years to develop, you can't expect to just give some herbs and expect, you know, within a, a, a day or two for it to be so much better. So really people have to... that, that, um, so, so how long on average? would you say that someone needs to feed herbs before they can see some kind of a change? Is there a week, a month, six months? Yeah, no, I would, I would say with the dry herb, you're looking at sort of three to four weeks okay. to get it into the system. The liquids are quicker because they, they're more readily absorbed by, by the horse's digestive system. But even then, you know, 10 days, 10, 14 days. So in um, other words, it, uh, you ha have to be willing, if you're going to start your horse on herbs, you have to be willing to just put a dot on your calendar and say, I'm going to check and see how things are three weeks yeah. out rather than every day going there and going, are you better? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, you're, you're, you're right. You know, people have got to be patient because these things, you know, many of these conditions have taken years and years to develop, you know, if you're looking at sort of arthritic conditions or whatever. But it's funny because there are some herbs that will, you know, will give you almost like an instant result. So, for example, if you've got something that's quite visual, say you had a, a horse or a dog with diarrhea. Yeah. So you can see that's what it's got. <laughs> now, <laughs> you use some, if you use something like, say, slippery elm, or marshmallow root, because of the action that they have on the digestive system, you could see an improvement in hours. So, you know, so it does depend on, on what it is that you're, you're trying yeah, to tackle. Someone's asking what the time frame might be for something like devil's claw. Well, again, I mean, if it's a liquid, you'd probably, I mean, that we've, we've got a mix that we call um, relief and that's got devil's claw meadow sweet and willow in it and 
yeah, I mean, you could be talking about a few days for that. But the bottom line is it's not like taking a pill and having instant change. On the other hand, it's also not masking you, if you will, it's not masking the symptom. It's actually Mm -hmm. healing. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to get to the root cause of the problem. Yeah. It's not masking the situation, you know, so, um, which, which is going right back to when we first started with Ryan, with the horse, with the, with the, um, spavin is that we weren't going to mask the situation using bute, phenobutazone. Um, but, you know, it didn't take very many weeks for him to really start to come sound and be much, much more comfortable. So, so then it kind of leads me to a question like, are there some herbs that would be good general herbs that a horse sort of like, you know, our daily vitamin pill, are there herbs that are something that you might feed on a regular basis to be preventative? Yes, you could do. Yeah. I mean, there's some, I mean, going back to the weeds, uh, I still think nettle is a fantastic herb. Um, Milk thistle is a fantastic herb because then you're going to actually help with that. It's going to help support the organs. So you've got milk thistle for the, for the liver. Um, You've got um, hawthorn. And again, that's growing in the hedges. A lot of horses, you, you'll see, they'll, they'll pick it out. They'll pick out the, you know, the, the flowering tops or even the hawthorn berries. Now that for the heart, when I was doing my training, the, the guy that was teaching me said, everybody of 50 or over should be on hawthorn for the heart. <laughs> they call it the nurse of the old heart. That's what it's called. Oh, so great. those sorts of things, you know, nettle for the circulatory system, cleaver, That is something that is in most of our mixes. Um, Are you aware of it? It's it's that herb or it's that plant that you used to throw at kids. It used to stick to your jumper, sticky willy or sweethearts. It has got those tiny little seed buds that the the dogs get on. Yeah. Yeah. My cat brings them in all the time. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. So that is cleaver and it is packed with silica. And it's absolutely fantastic for the lymphatic system. It actually encourages the production of white blood cells. So it will help with the immune system. So there's quite a few herbs that you could just mix as a, as a general blend. Someone's going to help. What the Latin name for cleaver is, because I don't think we call it that here. No, no. Okay. Uh, so it's gallium, G-A-L-I-U-M, aparine, separate word, A-P-A-R. I-N-E, gallium aparine. And, you know, the, here in the United States, so many horses live in fields with a monoculture. Like, mm-hmm. in other words, that, you know, the fields have yeah. been fertilized and they've been seeded. And so we have, you know, sort of just these grasses and, the, and there aren't a lot of weeds, if you will, um, in the field. So it's not, the horses in many cases don't have the ability to go to a hedge to pick something out because we no. just don't have it available to them. Um, I know uh, at one point there was something called healthy weeds. And I think Joyce has another mix now available on her website Um, because that's one of the problems is if the horses could get a hold of those plants in their environment, we wouldn't have to feed it to them because they'd already have eaten it. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, cleaver will, will grow naturally. And and it's interesting because some, Again, it's the, it's the horse showing you what it does and doesn't need. And, and the cleaver in the springtime, it's, it's rampant. It's everywhere. And what I will tend to do is I'll just go and tear it up from the, from the hedgerows. And, you know, you could throw it over the, over the fence to the horse. And at the beginning, the horse goes absolutely mad for it, munches away at it. But then after a couple of days, it's like, mm, don't really want this anymore. And they'll just leave it. Um, fantastic diuretic. Um, it's just a it's just a lovely herb, but yeah, I think you're right, um, Wendy. Joyce has um, a, a, a mix that I think you can sow into the paddock that has things like you know plantain and and dandelions and cleavers and all these sorts of things. But otherwise, at least if you can if you could find some growing that aren't in the paddock and you're fairly confident that it, it's you know not been 
contaminated with with road dust and all the rest of it. Just chop it up, throw it in into the paddocks, and they'll and they'll eat away at it. Yeah, yeah, because it, you know the horses, if they have it available and they need it, I I've so often noticed that there's certain minerals that I'll have from my horses, and they won't touch it, and then all of a sudden they'll just devour it, and then they won't touch it again. So there's something, whether it's a coat change or something where if they could have access, they would. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. They know what they need. <laughs> right. It's just not always easy to, to get access. Okay. So hang on a second. There's a question here. This is up. Uh, in giving your horse herbs, don't you have to make sure that what you're giving them doesn't interfere with other herbs that they might eat or with other medicine that you might be getting, giving them? It's a good question. Yeah, other herbs. They, so, what other herbs they might eat in the the natural environment? You talk. Yeah, if it about. was available. In other words, do you have to worry about uh, whether or not what you're giving them is either too much because they've already had it out in the field, or um, doesn't mix well with something else they might be on? Generally, because if you're if you're giving a herbal mix, you're probably not going to be giving them that much. Um, so I wouldn't have thought there would normally be a problem. Um, and generally with conventional medicine, there also shouldn't be a problem. But there are things like um, there are herbs that have um, a sort of, I mean, I don't want to start frightening people, but they have sort of circulatory benefits, but they may have something like a blood thinning um, action. So if you had a horse that it was on um, Lasix or something like that, then, you know, you just need to double check. So it's why it's always best if you've got a horse on conventional medicine, certainly ask the vet, see, you know, is there anything I can give that's, that's safe um, or at least contact the company that's doing the herbal mix and say, look, my horse is on this you know, can I, can I feed your mix in conjunction with it? Yeah, that's a great idea. Um, somebody's saying my pasture is still wild this year. And we have a lot of milkweed coming up. I've looked into it and found it's not good for horses. Are there thoughts on these dangerous weeds? Well, yeah, I mean, there's, there are some nasty weeds around that you've got to be careful of. And um, something that one of the girls that works with us was talking about, she was talking about laburnum. And, um, you know, you get those sort of keys that that come down and that can be that can be really nasty or oak. You can get oak poisoning, oak, acorn poisoning, uh, hogweeds, not good. So, yeah, I think you just have to be aware of what you've got in your pasture and even something like um, Hypericum, St. John's wort, mm -hmm. uh, which is a fantastic herb. It's great for the nervous system. And generally, it's absolutely fine. But there are some horses, certainly pink-skinned horses, that if you've got it growing in the, the area, uh, you can get a photosensitivity problem with it. So, again, it's, it's sort of keeping an eye on what you've actually got in your pasture and what the horses have got access to. That's interesting about acorns. That, so they're... Uh, I, I'm trying to remember who told me, oh, my horse loves to eat the acorns, but then they wind mm. up sore footed. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, no, there's there's some, there's quite a few things out there, but I mean, I mean, you don't want to end up completely paranoid. And if you're confident that, that the, where the horses are is, is safe, but um, yeah, you know, climate change and, and different weather can bring things up. So for all, also, you very often get this situation where, perhaps in the springtime, something will grow, something will just come up and you'll get, the horses will get the, the filled um, parotid glands, yeah? They get that sort of filling around the, around the neck, around the gullet. And it, again, it's, it's an allergic reaction. And right. very often, you know, just in the space of a few days or a few weeks, it's gone. But, you know, you've just got to keep an eye on things. So someone's asking a pretty specific question here. She's asking, have you worked with any horses with fecal water syndrome? It's a unique condition that the horse seems to have its own triggers and finding a universal remedy is a moving target. Have you heard of fecal water syndrome? I, I haven't. I haven't heard that. Fecal water. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, they could. Give me one on me. Yeah. Um, 
Uh, but this is a, a good question is, are there any herbal education programs that are oriented toward animal healing? Um, not as far as I'm aware. Um, so essentially, if you wanted to learn about herbs, you've got to go through some type of human course. Yeah, 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 generally. Um, not as far as I'm aware, but, uh, you know, it might well be that there are some out there. Um, again, I can look into it, but it's not something I... I mean, there certainly isn't, as far as I'm aware, in, in the UK. There are veterinary courses that do herbs, you know, there are, because there are a whole section now of veterinary um, that, and I mean, in the, in the States as well, you've got the American Holistic Veterinary Medicines Association, haven't you? So that, that I know Joyce is, Joyce oh, right, is right. Yeah. So there yeah. are courses. So, you know, um, so there would be for the veterinary side, I don't know whether for, for the lay person, don't know. You know, I have a, a dear friend, I've known her for a million years and she was a she took botany <laughs> in, uh -huh. in college. Yeah. and so she walks around and she can tell you the name of the plant and what it's good for and what the homeopathic version is and she's very handy to have around <laughs> right <laughs> it's uh it's really helpful all right so so then basically what we're saying is that um there's lots of different plants that can serve as herbs uh, not all plants are herbs some plants we have to be careful about um, yeah but that basically that herbs have different properties and those properties can be in the whole plant or in different properties in different parts of the plant. Mm -hmm. And that it quantity is not the issue. It's feeding the amount recommended of that herb and then giving it about three weeks, three to four weeks in, in general terms to see an effect from the herbs themselves. And then yeah. is, is that kind of thing like, um, like when we treat, well, one of the things that I, I remember so clearly, I'm, I had a little horse named Andy and um, Joyce put him on some Chinese herbs. And it was fascinating because he had such a prehensile nose that when he wanted those herbs, he would eat them. And when he didn't, he would sift them out and eat everything else in his bowl. <laughs> but the herbs. He was very good at it. Um, so yeah. so there's, the, there's that issue of, will my horse eat the herbs that I think he needs? Generally, they will. I think the key thing is to introduce them gradually. You know, don't just tip a great heap of herbs in with the horse's sweet feed or whatever. Um, it, it's, you know, this is new. They're very, very sensitive. I mean, you know, like you say, um, you put one tablet into a, they'll find it. Yeah. You know, one homeopathic tablet, they'll find it. And so um, generally the recommendation is if you're going to start feeding herbs, then introduce it to the horse or the dog or whatever, really gradually take five, seven, 10 days even to build up to the full amount that you're trying to give. If possible, try and if you've decided this is how much you want to give during the day, try and split it, particularly with horses into a couple of, of administrations, a couple of doses, add it to the food rather than just putting it all in one feed. Yeah. So it then spreads out the, the herbs over the, over the day. Um, if they don't like it, they will tell you. And, and in some ways, it's the only way a horse has of saying, actually, I don't need this or I don't want it. Right. Um, but if you're feeding, say, say you've got a dry food as well, and it's like a pellet, a pelleted food, just throwing a few herbs on the top and it's all going to sort of rattle around in the bottom of the bucket. You know, if necessary, just damp it slightly so it sticks to it. Yeah. Um, and there are ways, I mean, that if you wanted to use, say, the liquid, you could orally syringe it although you don't want to stress the horse. Right. But, you know, so, but um, generally I think, I think horses, if they know what's good for them and they know what they need, then they will, they will take it quite happily as long as it's introduced gradually 
and not just sort of all dumped in in one go because then it's a, particularly if you've got something like a strong flavor like a seaweed you know if they haven't had seaweed before it's a really strong flavor or um valerian that's another very strong flavored herb you know it's a lot of people say it smells absolutely ghastly but if you've got a horse with a you know a very sensitive um nose very sensitive sense of taste and smell so just take it really really steadily the only so, other thing that you could do sorry um, sorry wendy um the only other thing that you can do sometimes is you might find that they will be happier with it if um it's been made into a tea or that if it's been added to say to some really hot water so it's steeped oh. and then you can then add that the the liquid and the herb to the food as well. I have to admit, we, we went to this restaurant, we just came back from the American Association of Equine Practitioners and we went to this restaurant and my husband had massaged kale for the first time in his life. And he massaged, yeah, he loved it, but trying to feed him <laughs> kale, just, it doesn't. So massaged kale, basically you, um, you massage it with some olive oil or um, dressing and it softens it, it takes out the bitter taste. So the guy who would never eat kale is now making massage. <laughs> Sorry. I hope he's not listening. <laughs> um, so sometimes just changing the character slightly can exactly. change the palatability. Yeah. Um, somebody's yeah. asking if you can talk about self-selection, but I, 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 I wonder if that means like offering the horse a bunch of different herbs and letting them choose the one they like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, because you can get you can get self-selection with minerals and vitamins, can't you? I right. know. Um, but yeah, you can do that. You could. And, and you've also got the potential um, because there's um, kinesiologists that will do muscle testing um, on on horses to see whether they think this one, you know, whether the horse would like it or not. Um, so, yeah, there's no reason why you shouldn't, you know, put some piles of various herbs down and see see what they like no yeah. problem with that at all so so that leads us to like someone has a horse and they have an issue and they want to try and determine some herbs for their horse is what is the best way about researching or investigating or choosing the herbs for one's horse is there some resources they can read up on uh, i'm sure that your products all have suggestions for use yeah um we have to be a bit careful with suggestions for use because we're very limited to what we can and can't say ah, okay. um on 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 our packaging etc but there's some really good books out there i mean there's my book that went back years ago 1998 i think that was the first time I, that was published so there's some re but there's some really great books that you can go, you can get information about the herbs. It will give you advice on which to use for what. Um, there's, there's some lovely Materia Medicas. There's lots of books that will actually talk about the basic problems that, that you know, horse owners might have. Um, I was trying to think about the one that there was a really lovely one. What, what's that, the name um, of your book? <laughs> oh, my, uh, mine was The Modern Horse Herbal. Okay. And then the I did a, a a veteran horse herbal, which was aimed pri primarily at older horses, the sort of problems that you get with horses. Um, and and I'm just your book is wonderful, and they want to know if you're doing an update. That's my next job. <laughs> <laughs> when I when I stop, I'm going. I keep saying I'm going. I'm going to start doing slightly less and yeah, yeah. Tony has Tony has to <laughs> he has to lock me in the study which is what he had to do for the for the modern horse herbal he locked me in there um but that's the plan yeah is to is to do an update because there are now that was a long long time ago and quite honestly there are now so many more concerns and new things that have come on and I would really love to sit down and have a look at things like that uh, the 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 mix that I did um, with um, Joyce for the lime. Yes. Which, you know, so doing a lot more about that. So, and and um, oh, what's the latest thing that people are getting inundated? Horses with CPL, 
which is this um, chronic um, sort of lymphangitis almost oh. that you're seeing a lot with the gypsy cobs uh-huh. and, or, and draft horses as well, where you've got sort of thickening in the legs and um, carotene problems and sort of filling. What do you call it? Stocking up, don't right. you? Um, so things like that. So there's a there's quite a lot of things that I really would like to then cover in a in a new book. So that's my. All right, we're going to have to have your husband lock you in the in the study. Okay, yeah, <laughs> lock me in the study. <laughs> so, so um, are there any? And I know we've we've kind of gone through our hour, but are there any times when herbs are not indicated or recommended? Um. You've got to be a bit careful. You don't want to start stirring things up. Um, there was a case, I mean, thinking about people now, but they used to talk about, when I was doing my training, they used to talk about a healing crisis. Oh, yeah. And yeah. And so, you know, because they are powerful things and you've just got to take care because if you... I was thinking about something like, for example, burdock. It's a fantastic herb. Um, and, but what a, one of its actions is that it actually will, will pull waste products from the tissues. Yeah. Oh, okay. But then, and, and it's used quite a lot with sort of skin conditions, chronic skin conditions for people. But what you can do is you can overdo it and what happens is that you overload the system because the body can't cope with the waste products, with the toxins that are being dumped into the system, really. So it's why it's useful then if you're using something like burdock to use another herb that will actually help support the excretion of those waste products. So things like nettle, things like cleaver. So it's something that you have to be aware you you. Don't want to start stirring things up, um, particularly if you've got chronic, long-term chronic problems. So just take it steady. I, but I can't think of anything in particular, any particular condition where um, they wouldn't be helpful. Okay. Just being cautious. You know, my, um, my horse has actually been on a detox because he's off the charts in lead, mercury, and cadmium. And it was really interesting in July because I, that was six months into his detox, his coat suddenly looked like a giraffe. It was so mottled. And um, that was in July and he shed out his coat. So I could see, and I contacted the person and said, you know, this is happening. And he's like, no worries. You can either cut back or whatever. But, you know, we, we sometimes forget that whatever we're treating, we may be causing something to be released and that can have its own uh, side effects yeah, that we have exactly. to be prepared yeah. for, or at least, you know, consult like, I just saw this. <laughs> I just, yeah, yeah. 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 And it, and, and I mean, in some ways, it's a bit like if you're thinking about hoof improvement. Right. And it, that can take ages. It can take months and months and months before you actually start to see the improvement. But yeah, I think the, the coat and skin is, is a, if, if you think about it, um, the other thing that I would say, though, is which sort of links with that subject, allergies. Horses are like people, you know, and, and some horses will have allergic reactions to things. Mm -hmm. Generally, with herbs, if you're going to get an allergic reaction, it will happen within 12 to 24 hours. If that, you know, if that's going to happen. And generally, it will manifest itself normally as a skin condition you might get hives yeah or maybe in uh, swelling so maybe like stocking up you'll get filled legs or possibly diarrhea loose droppings yeah but it's the thing is that that will clear within 24 another 24 hours so don't panic you know don't you don't have to start, you know, pouring drugs or anything like that into it. But there are occasionally horses that do have allergic reactions to herbs. So just be aware of it. Right. Right. Just like anything that's not the same for everybody. 
Exactly. We're all different. Yeah. So, well, um, Hillary, this has been really fascinating and I really appreciate you taking your time to talk to us today because uh, this, this has been very informative and there's there, I've been able to ask you so many questions. It's been really, really nice. Um, so just tell us you, uh, your company is Hilton herbs. And if we want to look you up, where can we find you? Uh, Hiltonherbs.com. Oh, uh, Hiltonherbsusa.com actually. Yeah. So that'll be on the, on the, uh, on the website. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and, and I feel so confident now in any of your products, just having talked to you and the amount of research and time that you've put into it. It's really fantastic that you're out there helping horses be healthy. And we, we run a helpline. So if anybody has any questions, they can just go on the website. There's a little um, bot that you can just ask a question and uh, we'll come back to you as quickly as we can. It's obviously a time difference sometimes, but uh, you know, if people have any questions about it, um, you know, that's, we're here to help. Great. And maybe we'll have you back and talk about some specifics and some case case studies that you've done. I think that would be really, really interesting. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, that would be great. And, And I've enjoyed myself so much. Thank you so much. Oh, it's a pleasure. So thank you for joining me and thank you everybody else. And let's see, I have Ida Hammer on Wednesday evening. It's eight o'clock East coast time. So set your timer because it's, it's not a daytime webinar. Um, and just remember, you can find this and all the other webinars on the Surefoot Equine YouTube channel. And thank you all for joining me. And thank you, Hillary. This has been great. So, so nice to see you again. Yep. Take care. Take care. Bye. Cheers, guys. Bye.